So it's back to church uh, Sunday as we're all here today. Um, this doesn't happen without work, and we had a committee uh, put together as a church that helped uh, make all this happen. And uh, if you worked in any way, shape, or form, whether you come and help set stuff up, come and help set the tent up, got the games together, brought your side side or golf cart to haul people, anything. If you'll stand up, anybody that worked on it ready to help this thing happen. So I know there's more than you. Oh, she's not standing up because she's over here. So there's other folks through there, too, that's ashamed or something. There we go. Now we're getting better. Here we go. If you brought food, stand up because you're making part of this possible. So we appreciate you coming out. There we go. People brought coolers for the drinks, everything else. And so appreciative for all of you and all your hard work. Let's give them a hand for making this possible. This is an annual event that the it's it's happened uh, for several decades now that uh, there's been events like this planned across the nation to uh, allow people that hasn't maybe been to church for a while or people that have never been to church to have an opportunity to come and. Uh, to a service that's just uh, geared towards them and perfected in uh, that we work together to make it possible for you to come and uh, know that there's other guests going to be invited because there's nothing more uncomfortable than walking into a church you've never been in with a bunch of people staring at you, and we don't want to be that. The Bridge Church intends not to ever be that. We don't want to be judgmental or uh, any of that kind of thing, so uh, we're grateful that you're here today. Uh, those that's been regular come that come regularly. Those that maybe haven't been here for a while, we welcome you back. And those that's never been here before, we welcome you here today. Um, we're in the middle of a sermon series entitled "Unspoken," and we've talked the last two weeks about different things and different topics about prayer. And this unspoken uh, series is based around prayer. And uh, how many believes that prayer changes things? By enough with that, prayer changes things. So we believe that, we need to believe that. Um, in our walk with Christ, He expects us to believe that prayer changes things. Uh, does it change it instantly? No. Sometimes yes. Most of the time, I would say no. Uh, does it change over time or through a process that God allows us to go through? I think yes. Sometimes we pray for things and He may tell us to wait. That's okay too. All of those are answers that he gives us. So prayer is always answered. It may not be answered the way we like it or in the manner we like it, but that doesn't mean it wasn't answered. God answers prayers. And we need to know that and understand that. But we titled this uh, series Unspoken because of that uh, growing up in church all my life, you would hear people raise their hand. And uh, I attended a, a real little uh, church, uh, Hilltop Tabernacle. It's out there across from Amy Earl's place. Um, great church. I love Hilltop Tabernacle. I thank God for growing up in a church of uh, God-fearing people. And a, a lot of people, they just loved on us because basically me and Howie and Netta was the only kids there. So that was pretty fun. And other than Christmas time, you know, everybody would come in and we would be uh, in the, the Christmas play that Marjorie would uh, force us to be in. And Marjorie has dearly missed. She's one of those dear saints uh, that... Her whole life was based around church, and she played the piano, and she was just a great, great dear lady in the church. Um, but you would hear this said that people would raise their hand and say, I have an unspoken prayer request. How many's ever heard that? 
I have an unspoken prayer request. <coughs> so I started looking through the Bible to try and find, is that in the Bible somewhere? And I, I searched through it, I searched and researched different, uh, you know, on Google and all the different platforms trying to find it, and I can't find anywhere that says in the Bible that it's biblical to have unspoken prayer requests. So in saying that, the reason being that I want to bring attention to that is so that we don't act out our Christianity in a way that the Bible doesn't describe to us to do so. Now, I'm not telling you you can't have an unspoken prayer request. Because in another part, another part in the Bible where Jesus says, don't cast your pearl before the swine. And sometimes there are some people you don't need praying for you. Somebody say amen. Amen. <laughs> I mean, if they're a Satanist, then I don't really want them praying for me, right? If they're a Wiccan or a witch and they're sitting there with a little doll of me with sticking pins in them, I don't want no part of that. Amen. Please don't pray for me. <laughs> but I think their prayers will be of no avail because I have God on my side. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. So as we're saying that, I'm not telling you you can't have an unspoken prayer request or never say that again the rest of your life. I'm just saying that I can't find it in the Bible. I would rather pray like the Bible says to pray. So we're looking through this sermon series trying to figure out how does the Bible tell us to pray and what manner does he tell us to pray through his word. Because God's word is infallible. It don't have mistakes. It's not in error. It's all-inclusive truth for our lives and how to act and dwell. And the Bible says even have our being. We exist through the Word of God. Amen. And as His Word establishes us, it is truth. It is spoken truth. It is written truth that declares, thus says the Lord. So as we look through Scripture, we've looked through, you know, two weeks so far. And last week we talked about the prayers of blessing and how that Aaron prayed a blessing over the children of Israel. And he prayed that as a prayer that God would bless them. How many desires the blessing of God? Amen. That you would like to live in the blessing of God. That He would rule and reign over your life. That His blessings would abound in your actions. So those things are spoken. So there's oftentimes in Scripture when you see these prayers, they're actually spoken. They're not unspoken, they're spoken. So when we pray, we should speak. Now that's not to say that we should do it out loud in the public and always uh, be boisterous about our prayer. And I'm going to talk about some of that today. The word unspoken means implied or understood without being spoken or uttered, not addressed, not talking, or being silent. According to many Christian statisticians, today we're living in a post-Christian society in the world. And we're inundated by prayer prayer request on Facebook or social media, that so many people are hurting and they have trouble and they have no hope. But I thank God that this year's Back to Church event is titled, Hope is Here. I tell you where hope is at. It's in the Christian heart. Because our hope is eternal things. I place my hope and trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And when I place my hope in Him, I'm not going to get let down. Now, I may get let down in your eyes where you say, well, God didn't allow him to do this, or God didn't allow this to happen, or God didn't answer my prayer this way. But guess what? Jesus is still on the throne. He's still the King of kings. He's still the Lord of lords, and he's ruling over this earth. It may look like it's going to hell in a handbasket, but guess what? 
Jesus is still King. That is a good thing. We are of a kingdom that's not of this world. What can man do to me? That is Scripture. What can man do to me? You may stone me like they did Stephen. You may ridicule me. You may beat me like they did Jesus. But guess what? Jesus is still King. It doesn't matter what is happening to me. It's what's happening through me. Jesus wants to live through Christians on this earth. And He wants to show us perseverance. That we're able to endure tribulations and trials and afflictions and burdens and all these things that come upon us as Christians. It's not easy living as a Christian in a post-Christian world. It's getting tougher by the day. But Jesus doesn't want you to give up. You have hope. That's why on these bridge shirts that you're seeing more around here today, it's uh, faith, hope, and love. It's that simple. Jesus wants our Christianity to be simple. Look at your neighbor and say, you look simple enough to understand it. Go ahead and tell them. You look simple enough. You should be able to figure this out. It's going to be okay. Jordan, don't look at me mad. He's looking at me mad. Get, get. Caleb, get him. But our text that we're using for this series is Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. I'm going to read it for you really quick. But you, when you pray, go in your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. In secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Aren't you glad He knows you better than you know yourself? Aren't you glad that He knows your future before you get there? Aren't you glad that He's going before you and preparing a way before you? He is our hope, church. Our hope rests in Him and in Him alone. My hope does not rest in my righteousness. My hope doesn't rest in my actions or what I'm able to do. My hope rests in Jesus and Jesus alone. It is that simple. And that may sound too simple for you, and you may say, I don't understand that. I don't know if I'd agree with that. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the only way to heaven. And heaven is where hope is. The only way you're ever going to get there is through and by Him and Him alone. So as Jesus is speaking to these folks, this is the great Sermon on the Mount. And I kind of love the Sermon on the Mount because it's one of the, uh, it's just a lot of words that Jesus, and He covered a bunch of topics. So I try to stay specific in my sermons because uh, basically the British Church, we're a pretty simple bunch. So I figure if I can get one word through three that day, then we're doing pretty good. But Jesus covered all kinds of topics on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's written out in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Gospel of Matthew. And as he writes out this, this is where this text comes from today, that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is mentioning about prayer and how not to pray and how to pray. There's a way not to pray and there's a way to pray. Which one do you want? Which one are you acting out? So as we see this, I want us to understand, as the Bridge Church, and like Leslie said earlier, if you're a guest here today, you are part of the Bridge Church just by coming. Sorry. You're one of us. 
Amen. Amen. We're all in this together. We're in this fight of hope together. And you are here today, and God brought you here. Sure, you drove yourself. Sure, you walked over here yourself. But God made a way for you to get here. And we're glad you're here. Amen. At the bridge, we intentionally keep it real. It follows Jesus' plan of following his footsteps. And he allowed all to come and follow him. We don't have our pet peeves that you have to fit a certain mold to come and walk this path of life with us. We're attempting to work towards perfection, yes. But understand, we're not saying we're perfect. Amen? If you're looking for perfection, this is not your church. It might be the church down the road down here somewhere that thinks they're perfect. We're not it. The bridge is a ragtag bunch of people just trying to get through life, amen, with a little bit of hope. Amen, that's who I want to be, and that's how I want our church to be. You are welcome here. Why? Because Jesus welcomes all to come follow me. And that's all I'm trying to do as a pastor is to follow Jesus and do the things that he asked me to do and say the words that he asked me to say. And encourage folks that seem like they're unencourageable. And he asked me to do it anyway. Why? Because Jesus cares about individuals. Every individual that's breathing air on this planet today, Jesus loves them just like they are. It doesn't matter if they're a Muslim in a foreign land. They may be a Buddhist over in a, uh, or in a world. Jesus loves them just the same. He's asking them, come follow me. Their burdens are too heavy in their religion. And Jesus doesn't ask us to come to a church to become religious. He asked us to come to a church to join together in relationship with others and follow Him. The New Testament says when one is down, another one strong can help lift them up. Apostle Paul said, encourage one another. Edify one another. Build up. Don't tear down. Anybody can tear down a building, but it takes a skilled craftsman to build one up. And Jesus is encouraging us today to be skilled craftsmen, not demolishers. How many knows there's enough out there in this world that's trying to tear down everybody and divide and, and put out disinformation and hurt people? Jesus is not asking the church to go around hurting folks. He's asking us to go around, love people, encourage them, speak words of wisdom to them. So he's asking us to follow him. If there was a certain mode that Jesus would have only allowed disciples to follow him with a certain skill set or a certain mindset, he wouldn't have chose such a diverse crowd to be his disciples. Those 12 individuals, you had tax collectors. How long has it been since you prayed for the IRS? Anybody, anybody praying right now? God bless the IRS agent and let them come to my house. I want to eat with them. Anybody welcome them over? How about recently where they said they were going to hire, what was it, 68,000 more in America? How many was grateful for that and say, thank God for the tax collector? One of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector. Jesus even paid taxes one time with the money from the mouth of the fish. So if you don't have enough money to pay your taxes, Earl, 
or somebody else that pays self taxes all year. All of you that are self-employed, it looks lustrous from the outside. Everybody looks, wow, they own their own business. Brittany, you're doing so well. Until the tax bill comes. Amen. Anybody been a business owner? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's hard. Life is tough. But God will supply all your need according to His riches and glory. Don't worry about what tomorrow is bringing. Amen? Worry about today and say, I'm getting through this. Why? Because hope is here. Jesus is my King. He's the one that will sustain me. So as Jesus was saying this over and over and over again, um, I began to think through that and, and how, how that I... Prayer should be simple. I, I just want to say it that way. I'm saying that we shouldn't have unspoken prayer requests. What about should we have spoken prayer requests? I told you in week one, yes, you should. But who should you speak those prayer requests to? I think in small groups. Jesus one time went up on a hillside a few days before he died, and he asked a few disciples to go with him to pray with him through the night. And as he spoke to them, he, he let them know, pray, the burden is heavy. I'm going through some stuff. Jesus didn't go out on a sermon on the mountain and tell everybody in the crowd, hey, everybody, pray for me. He's very specific about who he wanted to pray for him. Guess what they did? Fell asleep. Can I tell you something? Some of the people that you need to be praying for you, as you're going through hard times and they don't understand it and they don't understand the severity of what you're facing, you're going to look over and you're going to say, hey, I need you to pray for me. Dusty, I need your prayers, buddy. Next thing you know, you're going to look over Dusty's going to be over to take a nap. It's going to be like, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> I thought we was in this together. That's what happened with Jesus and his disciples. It's going to happen to you as well. We need prayer warriors in our lives. We need a church that is a church of prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I believe it should be called a house of prayer of simple prayers. And here's why I want to say that. The verse that Jesus showed us just a minute ago that we read in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, he says this. When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Prayer doesn't have to be complicated. Amen. Prayer needs to be simple. Aren't you glad that God even hears, and probably more so according to this, simple prayers, intentional prayers, so whatever your burden that you're facing today, whatever hopelessness that you have in your heart today, knows this, that if you pray a simple prayer, God will hear and he understands and he'll meet you where you're at. You don't have to worry about coming up with a big long list of, of what should I say or what shouldn't I say. And I said this in week one, that when I first got saved, I grew up my whole life in church. But when I finally got smart enough to get up to an altar to kneel down and pray to give my life to Jesus, there's a little teenage kid there. I was in my 20s, and he put his arm around my back, and they was praying for me, and I could do nothing but cry. And, I, and he, said, he said, you know, pray. And I said, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. And he said, just talk to God. 
It was that simple that a teenager had to show me how to pray. Prayer is simple. Thank God. Prayer is not complicated. And it doesn't have to use boasters' words like Jesus says that these Gentiles who were unbelievers. They were unbelievers. So don't pray like the unbelievers do. It don't have to be a lot of words. It can be very simple. So when I was thinking through that, that prayer could become simple or needs to be simple, I, I want to read it's several verses here in Luke chapter 11, but the sermon will be done quick enough and we'll eat, because that's what you're all here for anyway. <laughs> Kids are here for games. Adults are here to eat. That's okay. We're going to give you a few encouraging words while we're here. Luke chapter 11. It says, As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him to his home for a meal. Kind of sounds like here, doesn't it? So when he went and took his place at the table, his host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. So Jesus goes upon invitation to this guy's house, a religious zealot, basically, and when Jesus walks in the house, he just sits down at the table and says, okay, where's the food? But in the Jewish custom of that day, and even to today, you know, you have to uh, go through the aisle at Kroger and get kosher food as a Jewish person because it has to meet a certain standard before you're allowed to partake of it. They're very religious about what they can and cannot eat. And you wasn't allowed to eat with dirty hands. That's a rule. Can't eat with dirty hands. Look at your neighbor and say, you filthy sinner. <laughs> it's really bad whenever you eat with dirty hands and you're a plumber. <laughs> but what if our religious custom is today that you have to pray over your food before you eat it. And what if Jesus walked in your house and he sat down to eat and he didn't pray over his food first? Would you look at him and be like, oh my, Jesus is a sinner. I can't believe he would eat without praying. He'll end up choking on that. It's going to be awful. Jesus is going to die. He won't be able to die for my sins because he's going to die on a bloody sandwich. We come so religious about what we think has to be. Sometimes we pray over our food. Sometimes we don't. That's me. Right, Leslie? A lot of times if Leslie goes somewhere and they are praying over food, she's already eating before they even get done with her prayer. So don't open your eyes during the prayer because you'll see her eating over there. Just the way it is. Am I telling you not to pray over your food? No. But should you think that you have no hope or life's going to end or nothing's going to be okay or your life's going to fall into shambles because you didn't pray over your food and you ate? We can't become so religious about what we have to do. Jesus is in a relationship with us. Good, bad, or indifferent, He is walking with us. He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you unless you forget to pray for your food. How crazy does that sound? 
But we as Christians today put these regulations upon ourselves and burdens upon ourselves to think that we're in relationship with Him because we pray for our food. I'm not telling you not to. I'm just telling you don't have to. Should you? Yeah, I think you should. Everything I do is blessed. You know, if, if anybody that I'm ever around and I don't pray before I eat, and they'll say, oh, you, you need to pray over your food. You need to bless the food. I usually tell them, everything I do is blessed. Amen? Why? Because I'm blessed by God. I'm highly favored by Him. Why? Because He loves me just like I am. He's there with me. I don't have to pray for His blessing every day. I'm living a blessed life. I'm saved. My sins have been forgiven. I am living in a blessing. Why? Because God has already blessed me. Indeed. I assure you that is true. But these religious leaders, were, they were aghast by this. How dare this rabbi not wash his hands before he eats? Verse 39, Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisee, you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor. So you can do an outside activity that cleanses you on the inside. Jesus said, If you will give to the poor, He will clean you on the inside. That's what this says. So as we look at that and think about that, that God doesn't care how much you're putting on this uh, picture. And we all have church faces. Like Wesley said, you know, sometimes... Did anybody get an argument for you come to church today? Anybody argue? I, no? Oh, you're perfect bunch. Okay, this is all the perfect family back here. Oh, well, there's Chuck in the back. He, he's coming in there strong. Truth will set you free, Chuck. It's awesome. But you, you'll gripe and complain and beat on the kids and swarp them and get to the church parking lot and pull in and open up the door. Oh, hi, how are you? It's been such a blessed week. It's just so, I'm so glad we're here at church. We're just so anticipating a good service today. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus is telling me about these folks. Outwardly, they wore these robes. They wore philanthropies. They do all these things in their religion to prove how religious they were. But inside, they were not clean because they were greedy. They didn't help the poor. Woe be it for us if we don't help the poor. If God shows you somebody in need, He doesn't do that so that you'll do nothing and you'll just pray for them. He wants you to actually help. Verse 42, what sorrow awaits you, Pharisee, for you're careful to tithe even to the tenth, or no, to the tiniest income of your herb gardens. But you ignore justice and the love of God. You'll tithe, you'll give. That's not going to get you to heaven. Somebody say amen. The giving won't get you there. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisee, for your love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk into the marketplaces. So these religious people, when they went out into the highways and byways, they didn't compel people to come to God. 
They walked out there with a boastfulness about how holy they were because of what they wore. I thank God that we can attend a church service today where we didn't have requirements on what you could or could not wear coming here. Just wear something. Do you want to know what the Bridges Rule is? Just wear something. Amen. Verse 44, Jesus is going a little deeper and he says, Yes, what sorrow awaits you? That's the opposite of hope. If all you have is gloom and doom in your future, you have no hope. The Bible says you're a men most miserable. How many's ever lived a life of misery? Before you come to Christ, I assure you, you did. That life was complex, it was hard, it was burdensome. It was so tough to get through another day. But now that I found Jesus, I have hope. That hope rests assured in me that eternity in heaven awaits me. But Jesus is saying here to this Pharisee that he that invited him to his house. Jesus went to his house. The guy ridicules Jesus, and Jesus comes back with these statements. Think about this. What sorrow awaits you, for you're like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. Teacher, said an expert in the religious law, so one of them's back talking to Jesus now. Okay. You have insulted us too in what you've just said. Isn't it awful when Jesus lines you out and you get insulted? When Jesus is telling you truth, and you say, Well, I don't know about all that. That sounds a little, uh uh-uh. uh. That sounds too easy, Jesus. You mean I don't even have to wash my hands and I can eat a burger? Yeah. Well, that sounds too easy. Jesus wants your life to be easy. Not saying you won't have a problem. I'm saying easy getting through the problem. Amen? You're still going to have problems. You're going to have issues. You're going to have concerns. You're going to have fears. But guess what? With Jesus, it's easier. Is there any Christians in the room today that can say amen? With Jesus, life is easier. I can attest to that. What you said offended me, Jesus. You may be sitting here right now saying, well, what you're saying, preacher, is offending me. Sorry. Jesus says, yes. Imagine this. This, this guy looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you just offended me. And Jesus said, yes. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> I gave you truth. You didn't want it. He's going to give you truth whether you like it or not. What sorrow awaits you, he goes right back into it again. You experts in religious law, for you crush people with unburdenable and unbearable religious demands. And you never lift a finger to ease the burden. So this Pharisee that Jesus was eating in his house was easily ridiculing everybody else and telling everybody else in society how wrong they was, how many issues they had, you're so wrong in doing this. You're so wrong in doing that. I'm pointing all my fingers at everybody else. And Jesus said, you won't even lift a finger to help them out of their troubles. So we as Christians, as we walk around this world and we walk around our society, we're not to point fingers and blame everybody and cast division upon them and say, you know, you need you need to shape up. You need to, you need to come to God and, and Jesus will help you and be mean about it. It's not very inviting. Amen? Amen. 
Jesus said you won't even lift a finger to help. I'm telling you right now, walking the walk with Jesus and doing ministry, it'll cost you. It'll cost you. You know why? Because you'll work that week, you'll get some money in your wallet, and you'll walk down the side of the road, and Jesus through the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and say, bless that person. You're thinking, I worked all week for that. It was a sweat of my brow that I got that. But I, need to, I need to go to the river and get a steak, Jesus. He said, no, that's not what I want you to do with it. I want you to bless them. That's not easy. <coughs> you won't lift a finger to help somebody. Jesus was pouring it on this Pharisee. And it was hurting his feelings. Undue burdens. Verse 47, What sorrow awaits you for you build monuments for the prophets and your own ancestors killed them long ago. But in fact you stand as witnesses who agree that what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you joined in their crime by building them monuments. This is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles among them, but they will kill some and prosecute others. As a result, this generation will be responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world, from the murder of Abel to Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. They killed Zechariah between the altar. In their religion, they got so far down this line of religion that they would even go to putting to death people over religious beliefs. I thank God that Jesus come to set us free from that. The bondage, the burden of religion. You don't have to have religion. You have to have a relationship. It's as simple as that. It sounds too simple, but it's so true. So I wrote this down. God is a bridge builder, not a barricade erector. He's looking to build bridges to those that are far from Him so that they can come to Him. For those that are in our world without hope, your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, your co-workers, God is asking you to be a bridge builder with Him. Let's stop building barricades that holds people out of church. Let's make a bridge that gets them to the church. And let's do life with them and enjoy life together and have hope of eternal things together. He is asking us to be encouragers to those in our society. To not point our finger or cast blame upon them, but look at them and say, Jesus is the answer. Testify about what he's done for you. We're more than overcomers by what? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. If you begin to testify about the goodness of God in your life, I promise you, you'll infect other people. They will become encouraged by seeing God was able to get you through that. Leslie calls people a hot mess. Anybody out here a hot mess? Amen. Got issues? I'll say it this way. 
complicated. <laughs> How's your relationship with Jesus? Well, it's, it's, it's complicated. So I want to encourage everybody to make it a hashtag. It's complicated. Because whenever you say that, I promise you, if you get on every social media account you got right now and type in hashtag, it's complicated, you're going to get a lot of uh, personal messages. What's going on? <laughs> Amen? We're living in a nosy world. Everybody wants to know what's going on. Come on, somebody. Look at your name and say, it's complicated. <laughs> so I, I triple dog dare you. According to the old 80s movies, right? A triple dog dare you. Not to stick your tongue to this pole over here. But to write on your social media account, nothing else. Hashtag, it's complicated. Because the second you do that, Kaylee, they're going to be like, what's Jordan done now? I knew he was no good. I had no hope for you. Come on, somebody. Is this not true? So you're going to invite them to ask you about what's complicated. Come on, somebody. We're supposed to be evangelists. Paul said, I will use, what's it, 1 Corinthians 9.22, I will use whatever means necessary that I may win some. I'll, I'll do anything. So I'll use this complicated to my advantage. I'm going to do it. Will you do it with me? How many will do it? Raise your hand. Oh, I'll, oh I'll, some of you. Okay, the rest of you. Chicken. Me and all my ten friends. It's complicated. So as you write that out, we're going to ask you, what's complicated? Then you go back and just say this. My relationship. Oh, my. It's going to get real in here. <laughs> My relationship's complicated. Then they're going to look like, well, talk about the relationship. And you know more about this. Who are you talking about? You mean your best friend from childhood that you've had since grade 1 through 12, and they've let you down, and they're going to come through all this thing in their mind, and they're going to get all wrapped up about what all they think about what's going on. They're going to say, what, what relationship with who? Then you can say, with Jesus. They're going to say, What? You got a complicated relationship with Jesus? Amen. How many has a complicated relationship with Jesus? Amen. Sometimes you feel like you fell him, don't you? Come on, somebody. Sometimes it seems like I let him down. Sometimes it seems like what Jesus said here, that I won't lift a finger to help people. Sometimes I get through a couple weeks and I'll say, what good have I really done breathing all this air for the last two weeks? What good am I to the world that I'm living in? And Jesus is spurring us to say, lift a finger and help somebody. There's people out here in this world that is not going to hear about him unless you open up your mouth and speak the oracles of God and say, thus says God's word, I need to help somebody. People's going to go to hell if somebody don't say something. We're unspoken about our religion. We're afraid to say something because we're afraid of being persecuted. They killed him. Jesus said, they have despised me. They will despise you even more. Following him 
It's not easy. It's complicated. And that's okay. So when you feel like that your world is falling apart, and when you feel like hopelessness abounds all around you, and it seems like that everything you put your hand to fails, and it seems like I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know if tomorrow's going to come, hope is here. Jesus is asking us to give it to Him. Cast your care on Him because Scripture says He cares for you. It's as simple as that. All too often, religious people and church people put burdens on people that they cannot bear. You can go witness to somebody and they'll say, well, I'll, I'll get my life straightened out and then I'll come to church and I'll, I'll come with you. They don't have to wait until they straighten it out because guess what? They never will. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. I thought I needed to clean my life up to come to Jesus, but when I come and knelt down at that altar, he didn't care whether I was clean or I was filthy dirty. He just invited me to come to the altar. And that's what he's asking us today in this place. You may be standing here and say, Pastor, you're speaking exactly the truth because my life and my relationship with Jesus is complicated. I'm having issues getting through the day. Life is tough. There's a song out that says, you know, when you don't know what else to say, just say the name Jesus. And a simple prayer Jesus said is a short prayer. And if that prayer is so short that you can't get nothing out of your mouth but Jesus, that's enough. He loves to hear his name. He wants to hear you call upon Him. And today's the day to do that. Hope is here. Help is here. You're not in life alone at the bridge. We're here with you. Won't you bow your head and close your eyes? Jesus' brother James wrote these words in James 4, 20, verse 2 and 3. He said, You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do, you, have, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. That you may spend it on your pleasures. So Jesus says you have not because you ask not. And you ask and receive not because you ask amiss because you want to spend it on yourself. Lift a finger to help somebody around you. Jesus, we know that you are the hope of the nations. 
Jesus, we know that you are the hope of eternal things. Jesus, as we sit here today in complicated relationship with you, Jesus, I'm asking you, come and lift burdens like only you can. Jesus, for the ones that are sitting here today and they walked into this place today, burdened down with the cares of this life. And the enemy is having a heyday with their thoughts. He's causing them to have despair. It's caused them to even have thoughts of ending their own life. There's so many reports right now, Jesus, about suicide and because of their hopelessness, the enemy is coming in and he's destroying them. God, God, help us to help people. Raise up your church to be the blessing that you've called us to be. Even when it's complicated. Even when relationship is tough. Help us to draw near to you. Jesus, I know that there's people sitting here right now that you promised them you would never leave them. But they never promised you that they wouldn't leave you. And you've called them to come back to church on this Sunday to recommit their life to you, to come back to this relationship with you. to get back in the good fight, the good fight of faith. And as you're beating on their heart's door right now that the Holy Spirit is coming and He's knocking on their heart's door, I pray, God, that you would give them boldness that even when they don't know how to pray, but just when they say the name Jesus, cares of this world that be washed away in an instant. That life would become easy in getting through. For those that are here that have never known you, God, they're sitting here today and they're saying, this preacher has said it's simple. And that's what kind of gospel I need is a simple gospel. Today, you're beating on their heart's door and you're asking them to come home. They've lived this life. They've tried to do the best they can. They've messed it all up and they're sitting here in the middle of a mess and they know today that your heart is beating and your spirit is calling. And God, they need to come home today and they know it. They sense it. They feel you in the midst. They know that hope is here. 
Jesus, I pray that you would just encourage them to join in relationship with you. Nobody looking around. Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. This is between you and God. Today he's knocking on your heart's door if you've never known him. And you've never asked him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And you feel and sense and know that he's beating on your heart's door right now. And it feels like your heart is about to beat out of your chest. And you say, Preacher, that's me. Today I want to give my life to him. Today is the day of salvation for me. Won't you lift up your hands? Is there anybody here that'll say, That's me? Amen. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Today is the day of salvation. God is knocking on your heart's door. You've never given your life to Him. You're saying today is the day. Just lift up your hand and say, Preacher, that's me. Maybe you're sitting here and you've given your life to him before but you've abandoned him you've walked away from the faith you said I just I can't live that life anymore you went back out into the world and you did it your way and you're sitting here and you found yourself in the place of hopelessness as you were before and you're saying today I come back here Today, I want to recommit my life to Him. I want to place my faith and trust in Him and Him alone. I'm rededicating my life to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Hope is here. Is there anybody here? Not looking around, nobody looking around. Just anybody here say, Today is that day for me. I'm recommitting my life to Him. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. There's others here. You need to lift your hand. You can feel God beating on your heart's door right now saying today. He's asking me to give it to him. Anybody else? There's others. Today is the day of salvation. For all of you that lift your hands, it isn't a magnificent or a lot of words that you need to say. You just need to say Jesus. And I want all of us under his tent together, whether you're Christian, whether you just rededicated, or whether you gave your life to Jesus for the first time today, I want all of us to, in unison, on the count of three, just say the name Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus. There's no other name given under by him, whereby men must be saved, but at the name of Jesus. Jesus saves. 